0: Begin PodFix Network transmission in three, two, one.
1: Whether you're fly fishing in a stream, getting those ankles wet, or deep in the ocean casting nets, Fish Fish Nerds, Fish Nerds, Fish Nerds, it's a podcast.
2: Hello and welcome to the Fish Nerds. It's a show about fish. Fishing and Eating Fish. I'm Clay Groves, Chief Executive Fish Nerd, Licensed Fishing Guide, and your best
3: friend. Guess what? John King is here. John, who are you? <laughs> I am John King, co-founder of Glasswater Angling, Lead-Free Fishing, and an avid fisher, and a correspondent turned co-host John on Fish Nerds Tonight. And
2: John, truly the reason the podcast didn't fold. Like, I was on the verge of folding, and you were like, put on your cape, and you flew in here from Kansas, you battled the speeding bullets, and you were stronger than a locomotive, and boom, Fisherman's Podcast stayed on the air
3: because of you. Well, thank Full you. Full credit you, thank given. You. Well, I appreciate the cred, <laughs> but, you know, I could not let my good friend, my my little brother, I could not let his project die. I know you are a passionate man, an over-planner. You just needed a help, yep. so I pulled on the superhero trunks, and, uh, yeah, I got on in here and, and, you know, you taught me to podcast, you mm-hmm. taught me to walk and then to run. So after lure love, I said, man, I ain't, I ain't going to stop. I'm, I'm coming back. I right. It was fun back. to watch. And you, i are going to do this.
2: It was fun to watch you build and then kill your own podcast.
3: Well, thank you. We had a lot of fun doing it, you know? And yeah. then we had to, yeah, well, well, Hey, we, we know these things happen and that's just it. You know, this project's been going on since 2013. I can't, I can't. I can't see it go away. It's it's no. a great thing. No. And and you know, we have listeners who uh, write
2: in and they say they miss Lure Love.
3: Oh, well, I sure appreciate that. You know, and We're they they
2: awesome. ask me to play the theme song and I say hell no. I'm never going to you'll never hear that song again.
3: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: oh, Clay,
4: come on. Maybe here in the next I wonder if I still have you. it.
2: <laughs> I must have it. I don't have it whether you're flat. Nope. Those are my buttons. It ain't there. <laughs> <That's> it. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's got to be somewhere, but, but we'll play it again someday for somebody, John. So how have you been?
3: I have been good, yeah. busy and crazy, but you know, what's making me good dude is I got, I have a friend that started an outdoor education nonprofit called endless outdoors. And it's a good name. We, yeah. It's, it's awesome. He's an awesome guy and he's just getting started um, but he wanted to add fishing to his list of outdoor activities that he teaches these kids. How and, old know, are the kids foraging hiking kids are anywhere from eight to 12.
2: Okay. Perfect days. And,
3: and, uh he'll take a little younger, a little older, but that, yeah, it, it, it he's very, you know, he's very targeted. He's, it, it's just an awesome idea. And I'm, I'm loving every bit of it, but we used to fish together. And when, you know, and then we, we didn't for a while. Cause uh, I met him through my old job. And uh he calls me up. He says, Hey, man, I want to do some uh, fishing. Ed, Can, are you, you know, would you be down with that? I said, Heck yes. So we had kids out a couple Saturdays back. We had like nine, 10 kids come out. And of course, the guide pressure, right? The guide oh, pressure. Will, put, they catch? Catch will they catch, have fun? Yeah. Will, you know, will this work out? Anyway, everybody caught. Everybody caught. I, it was a fascinating to see the level of interest in the kids. They were couple of kids that just kind of fished and stop and eat, le- uh, drink lemonade and, uh, sit and chat. And then they can pick up their rods. They go back. But there were these three boys. That as soon as their folks pulled up, they're out the door. They already they, like they do the fishing hole with their rod. Right. They want you know, to catch between fish. Like, I don't think I need to educate these guys. They, they seem like they're, they're down with everything, but they needed more, knot practice, you know, but, but the highlight was this young man, um, named Archer. And he, uh, he had a circle hook on his rig. I didn't need to help him rig. He'd already rigged. And, uh, my golly, he put that circle hook to good use because he nailed a 12 pound channel cat out of my pond, which is what? Uh, pretty darn cool. That's a huge fish. Yeah,
2: that's a huge fish. It is. And he
3: got it on a little kind of a little whippy little rod. And, and yeah, for a Kansas pond, that is a beauty. And uh, we're proud of you, Archer. And we got to talk about, for example, Nick picked it up by its gills. And I explained that's not how you handle a big fish. Mm-hmm. And uh and. uh Told Archie, he's like, I want to take it home and eat it, and I we talked about it a little bit, and I said, man, you know, let's let this little warrior go. It's going to make a lot, you know, they're a lot better in terms of uh, eating quality, less pollutants in the flesh, and everything. If we just eat the younger ones and let these these big mamas uh, get on back to their lives, because gosh, it's gotten this big and gave you a good fight, and right. let's let's return the favor. And yeah, he, he dug it. He dug it. He really, he really did. did.
2: Yeah, the kids. And his
3: mom pulled me aside and said, thank you. Right, because she didn't want to my... clean it. <laughs> well, she said, thank you, because you've given my son, I think, the greatest day of his life so yep. far. And you can't get a better compliment.
2: Uh, you know, it's funny. I fish with kids all the time. And I what know I, you do. And, and on my pontoon boat, what I hear is that they'll go to, like, Storyland, which is like a theme park. And they'll do all these stuff in the White Mountains, go whitewater rafting. And they'll come on my boat for a few hours. And what I hear constantly is, I had more fun on your pontoon boat than I did anywhere else on my vacation. Like The number one thing they want to do again, come back out in the water. So it's meaningful. The stuff we do on the water, it matters. It's meaningful. The kids like some connect with it on a different level than they do anything else. So they love it. And I was hired this summer by a glamping company. Do you know what glamping is, John? I know what glamping is. I did it in Panama. Oh, did you? Well, there's a, there's a, there's a chain company called Hutopia. And there's one here in Albany, New Hampshire, just down the street from my house. And they called me this spring, and they said, Clay, we want to offer fishing classes. And we called the state, and we said, what are the rules? And they said, well, if you're paying someone to fish, they have to be a licensed guide. And they hear me on the radio every day. They said they knew I was a guide. (laughs) And so they called me up and said, can you come run some fishing classes for us on Mondays all summer long? And I took a ride down, took it to the property, and said, okay, I gotcha." And so every Monday I go down and I come up to the dock. I bring ten fishing rods and a Zoe, my you know my sixteen-year-old. And whoever's there, we fish with. It's almost always kids under ten. Today there were these two Australian girls who were three and six. And it took Zoe about four minutes to get both of them on their first fish of their other they were caught. And they're like, <laughs> and they're like, mummy. I caught a fish, uh, mummy. <laughs> and then, like, like their voices were so cute. I wanted to get a little bottle and put their voices in a bottle and cap it. And then, like, a day I'm feeling bad, open it up. Mummy, is that a turtle? Do I see a turtle? Like, tremendous kids. Like, just caught tons of fish. And then I had these two French Canadian kids, kids who didn't speak any English at all, named uh, Alex and Vern. And I got them on fish in about five minutes' time. And then this kid from New Jersey. Uh, and it was pouring down rain the whole time. We didn't. Wow. We didn't let that stop us. The kids were fishing. We started off using jigs, but the fish were all very small, so they weren't able to get the jigs in their mouth. So we we sized down our hooks, and boom, 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 fish, fish, fish. That's a trick. If you can't catch a fish, go smaller, <laughs> and you'll catch a fish. And well, uh, don't I know don't it? Don't you know it? And so they all caught their fishes, and then the snapping turtles arrive. We had this pond. <laughs> this pond. I've never seen more turtles. We've been fishing there for four weeks now. And every week there's more turtles. So usually there's one snapper. Today, there was two snappers and painted turtles everywhere. And the snappers come right to the dock, like put their hands on the dock and nose out of the water, take a breath of air and wait for kids to drop worms in their mouth. They've been, they're very well trained. And, <laughs> and so I reached in and I, I took, picked the first, to give you an idea of the size of them, the back of the shell, maybe 26 inches across. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, so they're probably weighing 30, 25, 30 pounds. So I, I I pick one up out, you know, grab its tail, and I drag it out of the water onto the dock. I'm not like lifting it, I'm just kind of dragging it. And I hold my dock, let the kids take pictures, and it's snapping at me. And I'm like, don't ever touch a turtle, it's dangerous. And, of course, i got my hands all over this thing. And then I let it go, and it jumps in the water, and the kids rate the splash. And then I did it again for the other turtle. And then about 25 minutes later, the turtle's back. I'm like, you guys want me to get it again? And the kids are like, yeah, and I reached in the water, and it's the first time it's ever happened, and I've caught hundreds of snappers. Like, I know how to reach in the water and get a snapping turtle out without getting bit. The turtle turned on me. oh And, and it, it knew it. It knew what I was going to do, and it turned around and started chasing me. I was like, whoa, that's never happened before. <laughs> yep, so no matter if I put my hand in the water, the turtle came to me as opposed to trying to get away from me. It was like, nope, not again.
3: So, yeah, no, no, no. So
2: we decided, collectively, and all by myself, to not put my hands back in the water. <laughs> <laughs> yes, 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 no, no mas, no, no, so, no, no. But all these kids, and their various languages and accents, are going to go home and talk about the first fish they caught. And today, Zoe and I helped, it's like 12 kids catch their first fish. and We do it every single Monday. And and I've never had one kid who had experienced fishing so far, in all the four weeks we've been doing it, it's always been very first time very first fish and, and we make sure every single kid catches fish that is amazing and we do jigs almost exclusively we try to do jigs because we want kids to feel the bite and so we don't like bobbers cuz bobbers I, i'm not bobbers yeah, kill fish That's not a sport i I
3: we, we, we went conventional but I was thinking to you the whole time because um, and I think they've talked about doing a repeat and I think when they come out again we're going to talk about moving to a more advanced approach yeah because yeah we were we were cutting a lot of fish you know off yeah. and but and, I mean
2: have you tried it. circle hooks under a bobber? Yes I have. does it work any
3: better? Yes, it's not quite as dependable as when you use it with a live like catfish bait One mm-hmm. thing you 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 want to go against, your bobber wisdom in that you want actually want to use a bobber that's a little bigger yeah, because the principle is, you know, they're going to be tugging on that bait and shaking their head and that's going to drive the hook into the corner of their mouth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if, you know, I'm always the old panfisher with, Oh, a smaller bobber is it'll suspend your jig or your bait. But in this case, you, you, you want to cheat up a ways.
2: Yeah. I do want to experiment with, with, uh, with circle hooks on bobbers and see if that helps because there is, I can see the advantage to it. You know, because you're fishing on a dock, there's weeds everywhere, jigs hit the bottom every time, and you're pulling a lot of weeds off, but once the kids figure it out, they start they catch so many fish with a jig. I love jig fishing.
3: <laughs> well, you're
2: talking to them. You know, you know I do. I know you do. All right. Well, John, we've got a big show tonight. So much going yes, on. Yes, we do. we got some... I got I got a new story I want to talk about. Okay. We have talk about Doc Martin. Doc Martin's been with us since the beginning of the show almost, and she's got Nick Kramer, who's a Kansas biology biology he's a kansas biology hello i'm a biology he's a kansas biologist and host of the fisheries podcast so he's kind of a big deal it's a big big uh big kansas day today in the podcast
3: it is it is you know i actually listen to the fisheries podcast on occasion uh the oklahoma pond lady's been on the fisheries podcast Mm -hmm. uh they they get around they cover a lot of cool stuff i just uh Yeah, it's on my list of of frequently listened to. Yeah, we've got a little bit of lure
2: love we're going to throw out there say, for our friend who said, Clay, can you play some lure love stuff? We'll play the theme song. We'll play a little segment from lure love. What do we need to play from that?
3: Oh, we're going to talk about kids fishing. It's uh, kind of a thing. You've been doing some clinics and doing some teaching. Mm -hmm. So have I. So I um, brought up a piece that Tim and I did a while back and uh Um, we're going to go ahead and put that on the show because yeah, uh, Jonathan Brom and some of the rest of the folks want to hear a little love peaceful. We got one for you.
2: Perfect. But I do want to talk about, we had a message on Facebook and you told me to run away from this question. So I'm not going to do it. I'm not gonna run away from it. I'm going to take it on head on. And we have a listening, listener named Chris Marston. He's, I think he's from Massachusetts. And he was talking about a bill proposed in Massachusetts about gun legislation. And, he wanted to know how I felt about this bill because fishermen, a lot of fishermen are also hunters, and he wants to know my thoughts. It's called an act modernizing firearm laws. Firearm laws. Here's my thought: I don't have one. <laughs> I, don't, I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't even own a gun. I'm not against gun ownership. I think responsible gun owners are, are fine. Um, but every single person who's a who's a Second Amendment person who loves their guns and believes no matter what, you should only own a gun, also knows a guy who should not own a gun. Like, yeah. we all know that guy who should never have a gun. So yeah. it's not so simple as, like, my rights, you know. Uh, so my thoughts on that legislation, I looked at it. I couldn't tell you what four sentences meant. I don't know. So I mean, neither, man. This, I looked at this, it, this, too. I,
3: I'm like, I'm no this,
2: lawyer. I, I know why I'm yeah. not a lawyer. I can't look at things. I can't look at it. I'm not against some smart stuff but i'm not going to give you i'm not going to tell you what to do with your guns but i am going to say chris thank you for listening to the fish nerds we're happy to have you with us even though i don't know enough about guns to ask answer your gun question unless you're talking about shooting fish and then i have opinions but you didn't ask that so i'm not going to tell you my opinion on shooting fish how's that
3: let's not do that that's a right. whole other show Un- and I, i'm unsatisfying I'm
2: not <laughs> unsatisfying how's that for an answer <laughs> But we did it. We we took on gun topic on the Fish Nerds podcast and did it.
3: Yeah, we don't want to get too broad.
2: No. So good. That's done. Why don't we jump into Fish in the News, and then we'll get with Doc Martin. What do we think?
3: Sounds like a plan.
2: All right. Here we go.
1: (laughs) News, news, Fish in the News. Everybody loves their Fish in the
2: News. All right, John, this is going to be a short one. Uh, just a short one, but uh, the headline is huge fish kills itself in front of an aquarium guest after being blinded by a camera flash. That's the headline. <laughs> okay. Yeah, this is this really happened, and it happened just past, this past February. I don't know why I didn't hear about it until now, but it, it came across my news feed today, so I thought I would share, share it. And it's a viral video of a tuna killing itself, uh, and you can go look at this. Uh, it's been on Reddit mostly, so it didn't make the museums. But it, the footage can be seen. It's awful. Someone was taking fish photography at a crowd aquarium exhibit, and no one's saying where this happened. So I, it's, I, I always find it suspect when you can't find out the location. Yeah. Because yeah, cause, cause I think if it really happened, we'd know. So I always wonder if it's doctored information here. But uh, the clip continues. There's a bunch of visitors. They're taking flash photography. The fish tank is It's crowded. And the clip continues. Vis- visitors can see a tuna fish abruptly stop and swim head onto the glass, smacking it, and then sinking to the bottom. And of course, visitors are horrified. Horrified, John. And I haven't watched the um, I haven't watched the video yet. I'm, I've seen the still pictures of it, and it looks horrifying. And I will put okay. a link up on our Facebook page and on the show notes, people can look at it. But I, uh, when you do go to an aquarium, they do all say no flash photography. Yeah. So it makes me wonder, has this ever happened before? Which by the way, I, pr- probably not.
3: Oh, probably because there's a real, you know, speaking of a certain kind of person, there's the person that, you know, thinks the whole world's here just for them. And they're, yeah. you know, Oh, it's okay.
4: If I take a picture,
3: why? Yeah. But
2: just, I, you know, I, you've been to aquariums, John. Yes. And, and you've no people. And you know that people have no idea how to use their cameras, right? And so you know, hundred percent, flashes are going off all day long, right? And if there was a, this was a real problem that happened every time one flashed at the, at the fishes, uh, we'd hear about it all the time. But as far as I can tell, this is the only instance where this has happened.
3: So well, what? What do you think it went on there? You think it thought it was like prey? You know, uh, so maybe I, some people are, to, are prey, or? It,
2: you know, according to the article, it just confused the fish. But here's why I think it is not true: fish have a lateral line, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's how they don't. When you put, if you put a frog in a glass aquarium, it smacks the glass all day long trying to get out. Lizards, turtles smack the glass all day long. You put a you put a fish in a glass aquarium. It never hits the wall. That's true. It never hits the wall because it has a lateral line. I can't see a flash changing that. So I don't believe it.
3: <laughs> yeah, I, I That's have a part of it too. Well, and of course, it's one of those things where I'm not sure the flash helps you much. You know, mainly you're going to
2: you get you get reflection. reflection. Yep. Yeah. It, definitely, it does make your picture better. But I'm not convinced it hurts anything. Um, but, you know, people have better information than I do. And now I'm looking at the website here and there's, there's still photos, and I'm trying to find the actual video, and I can't find it, so I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure if it's real.
3: Well, I... I but I'm, I like the story. I, yeah, it's a fun story, and that's what they're counting on, and that's how they get clicks, but a jaundiced eye, as they say, is uh, called for for a lot of this stuff. <laughs> sure.
2: Jaundiced <laughs> eye.
3: All right. Yes. Do you have any news stories, John?
2: You're not. Requi- I don't have any it, news It's not stories. required.
3: Well... I have no fair warning. I could make something up. No,
2: you don't have to. Let's let's bail the news. We have so much show to do. We, did we some do. News. We did some news. <laughs> Wrong button. News, <laughs> I'm never getting the buttons fish right. The I can label Everybody them. The <laughs> All right. What do you think? You want to jump into um, Doc Martin here with Nick You'll Kramer? Let's jump into
3: this Doc Martin story. Nick, I, Kramer, I love is,
2: it. Nick Kramer is Nick Kramer is a Kansas biologist, host of the Fisheries podcast, and you love this interview. I did. You did. All right. Um, We can we can talk a little bit about now or we can recap after. What do you think?
3: Uh, Well, I just say going in, um, I'm kind of excited about it. And I really want you all to listen to it, because once again, it's you're going to it's going to sound familiar, like the bow hunting I mean bow fishing, bow fish hunting episode where we're starting to ask some questions because, hey, all praise to the young folks. Rough fish are being redefined. So let's listen to Mr. Kramer and see, let's see what he has to say. They are
2: indeed. And by the way, Doc Martin has dug in on carp recently and she is not letting go.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Here we go.
5: Hey everybody, I am Doc Martin and I'm really excited to bring a super special guest to uh, you today. So we have Nick Kramer, our district fisheries biologist from the state of Kansas and the founder and periodic host of the Fisheries Podcast is joining us today. Welcome Nick.
1: Thank you, Erica, for for allowing me to come on the show today uh, as a another Kansas, uh, I guess Kansas kind of crowded with fish podcasters it seems like. so. Uh, I'm glad there's enough room for both of us in the state.
5: Well, there's different niches, right? So we uh, we like to diversify. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly.
5: <laughs> and so um, you're the district fisheries biologist. What does that mean?
1: Uh, so I have a a six county area that I'm in charge of in northeast Kansas. Uh, that I'm tasked with managing all the public waters in that corner of the state and making sure that there is enough fish for people to catch and big enough fish for people to take home. Um, so I have. In those six counties, I have roughly 15,000 acres of publicly accessible water ranging from a 11,000 acre public reservoir or federal reservoir down to one acre to half acre farm ponds that we lease out from, from private landowners. So there's a, there's a wide range of, of sizes and systems that I get to work on, uh, but really the, the end goal is the same, is to make sure that uh, anglers have enough uh, fish out there to catch.
5: And I'm sure all of our listeners want to know, Nick, are you yourself an angler? Uh,
1: I, I am. I guess not as much as I was when I first got into the field. I, um, I guess the, the job kind of satisfies a lot of those uh, desires to get out and go fishing. But I do get out and enjoy some Kansas crappie fishing. Um, I've started to dabble into blue cat fishing a little bit. Uh, but most of the time I, I fall back to, to crappie fishing
5: awesome and you had something that um i guess your group has been working on that you wanted to share with us today uh and you've done some survey work Uh, it sounds like in spring of 2022 and you have some of those results about a carp carp fishing would you like to let us know what let's talk about like what is the survey first a little bit before we get into the what you found if that's all right
1: yeah so um Common carp, I mean, they're, they're found all throughout the United States. They're, uh, they're common. Um, they were first introduced m- throughout the United States, uh, in the late 1800s, and, uh, they're probably actually predated slightly the, the founding of our Kansas Department of Wildlife and Parks, or back then it was the Kansas Fish and Game Commission. Um, they would actually distribute these common carp throughout Kansas before they even had uh, like a state hatchery system or even a state office building to house to house the the old state game warden. And so then fast forward uh, about 150 years to 2022, we um carp have gone through a whole range of being introduced as a favorable fish to uh being the the target of a bunch of eradication efforts. But now we're starting to see this swing back to uh, some anglers want to target common carp. Uh, the European style carp fishing is, uh, slowly making its way over to the United States and more anglers are picking it up. And there's a slightly vocal group of these anglers, uh, that, uh, hop into our Kansas Wildlife and Parks Fisheries Division Facebook comments and, and always ask us when we're going to start managing for carp, why we don't have any trophy carp fishing opportunities for them. And, and so I guess, uh, I have access to our agency's Facebook uh, account. So I've uh, periodically engaged with some of these anglers in those comments and asking them how you would do that. And um, at first to start out, just kind of, I guess, uh, just poking them a little bit for for targeting carp when when there are other uh, perceived more desirable fish out there to catch. But um, through those engagements, I guess I, I got interested enough in the topic that I did this survey. Uh, A lot of their comments would always come back to this trophy carp, trophy carp, trophy carp. And so uh, I guess I, I sought out with this survey to answer what is trophy carp as well as a few other questions.
5: And so before we get to there, you did mention that a particular type of fishing for carp is a European style fishing. And can you explain like, what is that? How is it different from what we're doing already?
1: Uh, so I guess throughout most of the United States, um, people don't really fish for carp. So I guess when when I said European style carp fishing, I guess it would just mean uh, actually targeting carp. But there is a style. I think uh, the American style would be just um, maybe putting a piece of corn on a hook and throwing it out on a creek and trying to catch them. Where uh, the Europeans use specialized uh, hair rigs and method weights, um, pack baits and boilies. Now, all these specialized uh, dough baits basically in them pack baits are uh, kind of a, a corn mixed with breadcrumbs and um, a lot of them use red kool-aid and some water to mix it all together and you pack it around your weight and throw it out and it basically it's chum um, they're they're making a chum ball that they throw out around their hook and then a lot of them will camp in that same spot and chum a spot for a while um, I think that's the gist of it'm I'm, I'm no carp fishing expert I just uh, did a survey about them
5: um Um, and then so i i this is another question it's not directly related to the survey but we've had a lot of conversations uh on the fishners podcast about what are desirable fishes and what is a trash fish and is that really fair you know all of that kind of thing and so you, you know you poke fun saying maybe carp aren't a desirable fish however it seems like they are becoming one now most maybe because they're around and they're catchable um I wonder, uh, so I actually really, I think the carp are really cool fish. They get so big, um, but they are very difficult to fillet, right? Because Mm -hmm. of all of the bones uh, in there that you don't have with some of your centrarchid fishes, like your crappie, those are much easier to fillet. And so do you think that, that, issue of the bones and the fillet is part of the reason that they're perceived as undesirable or because they're an introduced species or is it a mixture of both like just what what do you think
1: i think it's it definitely lends more towards the uh i guess a big thing is people like to fish for what they can eat um at least that was how most people get started fishing or used to be before kind of bass fishing blew up So when these common carp were brought over in the late 1800s, it was actually as a food fish. um, They would stock them out. They would give them basically to anybody that had a a farm pond to to raise in their ponds, and then they could eat whatever they want. And they kind of equated it to raising hogs, kind of that same type of of agriculture. Because over in Europe, they would grow these things and eat them pretty regularly. It's still a, a staple in some Eastern European countries. But once they brought them over here, um, Basically, once they went through a couple of generations of these fish, they started to realize that they don't taste as good or maybe their uh, memory of these fish might have tasted better than the actual fish. And so they uh, once they introduced them everywhere, they decided they don't taste very good and stopped harvesting them. And then uh, they kind of uh, became stunted and became a nuisance species. Then um, it also kind of occurred around the same time where a lot of anglers started um, angling. Became a more popular thing, and um, trout and uh, bass to some degree became a more popular targets than than common carp. Most probably because uh, those species were easier to catch than um, some of our uh, uh, undesirable species. Or uh, I guess I'm I'm not sure what term we're supposed to use uh, anymore. But uh, the carp and the buffalo and the gars that they're they're harder to catch or not as easy to catch with. Uh, introductory gear so there's probably uh, a, a couple different factors that lean into it
5: yeah great and so uh um, you did you did a survey and um uh, was this via the internet or did you snail mail it how many anglers did you end up surveying
1: so we did a uh we did it a variety of ways we kind of did it in phases we we sent it first to our fisheries division to get their opinions of it all because uh and the, we had some questions about carp management that we also wanted our Kansas Wildlife and Parks employees' opinions on. Um, then we sent out uh, 2,000 postcards, snail mail, to licensed Kansas anglers, resident anglers. And then um, we waited. Oh, I forgot exactly how long, but we waited until responses for that slowed down to basically zero. And then we opened it up on social media, putting a survey link on social media so we did the the snail mail to our licensed anglers to get kind of an unbiased representation of basically how many Kansas anglers actually carp fish and what they're currently experiencing. And because we had the the idea in hand or, or in our heads already that if we put it out on just social media, we'd get a pretty biased response from um, those those same diehard carp anglers that I mentioned earlier. They'd kind of plague the responses. And so we did it in phases and um altogether we had about 550 in state responses and about 350 out of state responses from those two
5: 800 give or take responses that's pretty great
1: yeah, so the the postcards we only had about 4% response and that was probably because the the wording on the email or postcard mentioned common carp numerous times and uh, most people will probably get a postcard talking about common carp and weren't too inclined to to take a survey especially if there, since there was no reward for doing the survey.
5: Uh, that would have been interesting to send, sorry, that, but it would have been really cool to send out like the same postcards and one about common carp and then one about like an exciting or uh, maybe controversial fish uh, and then see if your response rate would have been different. That would have been interesting to see. That, I bet that, the answer would be yes, but it's fun that, to think about. It
1: definitely would have been, uh, even if you just would have said, a survey about can or angling experiences and not mention a fish just to see, mm-hmm. but I guess future studies.
5: There's always future studies. <laughs> yep. So, what did your survey find?
1: Uh, so we found um, uh, from those postcard responses that only one out of three Kansans fish for common carp or have fish for common carp intentionally. Uh, where on social media, it's two out of three fish for them. and then if you include the out-of-state people, which we assumed to be super biased people can uh i mean you'd have to be pretty uh opinionated about common carp to take a a survey about kansas carp if you don't live in kansas Uh, so uh 94 percent of respondents from out of state had intentionally fish for carp all right so of those uh one out of three people that uh did the survey responses. Most of them were rod and reel anglers. Um, rod and reel was the, the highest proportion of, of gear that each, ang- each survey category used, whether it's postcards, social or the out of state social media responses. And then bow fishing was second. So we just oh, kind of wow. focused, we focused on those the, the rest of the, the survey, but, uh, fly fishing was surprisingly third for, uh, all three of the categories. There's, I mean, it's three percent of people fly fish for common carp, but uh, compared to about sixty to eighty percent of the rod and reel. So, and about, uh,
5: with the with those data, where you have rod and reel, and then bow fishing, and then fly fishing, are those the methods specific to targeting common carp, or are those just the methods most commonly employed by the anglers? It's a little bit different category there.
1: It's uh I believe the the question was, um, which is your most frequently used gear to target common carp and okay, they could only so select, they make could only select one of them.
0: Yeah.
5: That would make more sense when bow fishing would be a little bit higher, I would think.
1: Yeah. So then, then we got into a series of questions, trying to get back to that question of, I guess, what is a trophy carp and uh, also trying to get what their experiences are now. So um, we asked them how many days they fish. And again, we just focused on the, the bow fishing and the rod and reel anglers since they were the the two biggest groups and they're pretty consistent between all the survey methods. Um, The postcard ones, both of them are right around 10 days per year. social media responses are a little higher about 24 days per year, but it's similar between the bow fishing and rod and reel anglers. And they both fish for about the same amount of time. All of them fish for about five hours a day when targeting common carp and they drive about 20 miles one way to target that. Um, So I, I looked in our, we had just done a Kansas licensed angler survey, which surveys all of our, uh, a bigger statewide survey of all angler types. And uh, that, those anglers or those respondents actually travel about twice as far one way to fish for any fish. So uh, carp anglers only travel 20 miles where our our typical Kansas angler travels about 40 miles to target whatever species they're targeting. So hmm. uh, there's, they don't usually drive as far. Um, and then as far as what how many they encounter, that's where the bow fishing and rod and reel guys start to differ, or not um uh, bow fishing anglers start to differ. Uh the postcard ones, the the unbiased responses, they usually the bow fishers get about eighteen where the rod and reel usually see about three fish. Hmm. And then social media, the the more biased people usually see five or six fish when fishing rod and reel and between 40 and 50 when they're bow fishing. So there's uh, a lot more, uh, you see a lot more fish when bow fishing than, than you do rod and reel. And I guess that's likely because you're cruising around in a boat. um, Where rod rod and reel anglers are usually staying in one spot, waiting for fish to come into their bait pile. So it's more of an active versus passive. Hmm. Then we're finally starting to get towards, towards that trophy, trophy stuff. Um, So we asked what size of fish they currently catch right now. And, it's typically right around that 20 to 21 inch size fish is what, they, what they're what they catching right now. And most of them would rate their success as, I guess, neutral or uh, not successful or unsuccessful, just kind of right in the middle.
5: Hmm. And so that's the average response. So you have some people that are a little successful and some people that say no. So on
1: average, everybody's like, yep.
5: well, a good day fishing or a bad day fishing is better uh, than a good day at work, right?
1: <laughs> yep. Yep. That's correct. Yep. And as as we kind of went up that scale of perceived bias from postcards being assumed unbiased up to the out-of-state social, the rate of success or their perceived success did go up. So the, hmm. the more biased people did think that they were being more successful than than the, the unbiased responses.
5: And so when you mean, what, what do you mean by unbiased responses? You say that a lot. And so how do you define an unbiased response?
1: I guess it's just... Uh, you have to be careful because I guess I'm not a trained like human dimensions person. So, uh, I'm probably like making some of those human dimensions people cringe as going through this results. But so I guess this perceived bias and unbiased, um, the postcards were sent out to a random pool of, uh, licensed resident anglers in Kansas. And so, um, being a random pool, uh, we're assuming that none of these people are the diehard. I guess there might be some of those diehard carp anglers, but there also might be some that have never ever fished for carp in their life or have no opinion of it. So there's uh, the full range of opinions regarding the fish. Whereas the the social media responses, um, since it's more of a free will, um, I guess anybody could take those. We're assuming that people actually interested in carp are more likely to click on the survey link than those that aren't interested in carp. And so they're, Uh, We're assuming that those responses would be more biased or more influenced by the Carpangler responses than uh, the postcard responses.
5: Yep, that makes sense to me. Uh, That's one of the things that yeah you have to always think about when you're doing surveys. uh, Just because you want to randomly select people doesn't mean that they won't self-select and bias your own sample. So that's a fun thing to try to deal with. But it sounds like with postcards versus social media, those differences are illustrative if nothing else you know if they were all the same that would be one thing but you do have differences in the percentages of people experiencing different things so you're probably right that the social media is a little bit more biased towards those carp fishermen or fisher people that are deliberately taking the survey and so you you bias those survey results so all right
1: so so what so so far
5: working up to what is a trophy carp right
1: yep So far, everything we've covered has been their current experiences, uh, what they're catching, how far they're driving, Mm -hmm. how long they're spending doing it. And then, so then we got into the portion of the survey where we're asking um, questions about trophy sized fish and basically those same series of questions we went over, but regarding trophy sized fish. So, uh, this first one was at what length would you consider a trophy carp or a common carp to be a trophy size? And it's Pretty, uh, even across the board, right about 34 inches long is what they would consider a trophy common carp. And in fishery science, we have, uh, Don Gablehouse Jr. created a series of length categorizations based off of world record lengths that we use to, uh, help with our fish management. And so it ranges from, um, stock quality, preferred, memorable, and trophy, with trophy being roughly 80% of a world record length fish. And coincidentally, the, that Gablehouse category for common carp that delineates trophy fish sits right at 34 inches. So the, I guess it's a coincidence, I guess that the, the, the anglers and the, the science kind of matches up and right at that 34 inch mark for a trophy fish. And then, um, so before most of the anglers were driving about 20 miles to target, um, common carp, we asked how many miles they'd be willing to drive one way to target trophy size, common carp. And, the. It varied with the postcard people willing to drive maybe, maybe 50 miles, 30 to 50 miles. So not, not all that much further getting up to that, uh, statewide average for, um, the, the licensed angler survey, the social media or those perceived to more biased people, um, uh, they would get up to about a hundred miles to 270 miles if they're riding real anglers.
5: Oh my gosh.
1: <laughs> and the, the, the out of state anglers, um, we're willing to travel 500 to 650 miles to target trophy common carp. Um, so that was one of the comments on the Facebook page that uh, stuck out was like, uh, you could make Kansas a destination fishery if you develop these trophy carp fishing. Um, so the in-state people, I mean, that that would be like traveling um, basically a- across the entire length of Missouri. So from St. Louis to get across the Kansas border uh, would be about 270 miles, I think. Mm-hmm. Um Where those out-of-state ones, I mean, you could be drawing some people from the surrounding states into Kansas with that 500 to 650-mile range.
5: Yeah, that's out by uh, Indiana and Ohio, out of (laughs) that-a-ways.
1: Yep, yeah. Wow. Uh, I mean, there were some uh, people that I thought there was a cap on the the amount of miles they could put in the survey box, but I I guess there wasn't. So (laughs) some of them would put like a million miles. So that might have swayed. The average is down, but I believe all the numbers that I wrote down were medians. So Mm. they're not medians means. So some people were willing to traverse the globe to target trophy common carp.
5: But have they? Because like they actually could. Right. They could go to Europe and try and uh, probably do that. (laughs) I wonder if they have. That'd be an interesting question.
3: Mm
5: -hmm. Um, And so uh, we know we know carp are invasive. I I don't know. I know KDWP uh, has recently kind of went from. Was it aquatic nuisance species to another acronym? What was it or aquatic invasive species to aquatic nuisance species? There's been a transition in your acronyms over there, and I wasn't sure how uh, you guys categorize the common carp now. Is it considered a nuisance or invasive species, or is it just a non-native species that? is not causing any demonstrable harm because there's lots of different flavors of those uh, non-natives, depending on how you want to define them.
1: I'm not entirely, I think they moved from aquatic invasive species to aquatic nuisance species. Um, I I can't remember the exact justification, but I think nuisance more accurately describes what they're after, what they're trying to manage than invasive. But in Kansas, common carp fall into a a non-game species uh, I believe they're also listed in our nuisance species list. So this whole survey talking about trophy carp management, um, the the statewide, the Kansas Wildlife and Parks responses to it, basically was, was not in support of any trophy carp management options um, or scenarios. They weren't interested in managing for trophy common carp, as you could imagine, a bunch of state biologists saying. And so uh, it's very unlikely that anything would happen, but... Um, Kind of the conclusion of the survey was that um, that 34 inches and the number of fish that people are after and how far they're willing to drive, we probably already have and we do already have that size of fish present in Kansas. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of um, pointing anglers to those locations where those fish do exist. And also, when you get up to that size of fish, a lot of our standard sampling methods that we use to sample our, our typical sport fishes in Kansas. Don't adequately sample those larger size fish. The once you get up to the 30, 34 inch size fish or bass electro fishing, you might run into some common carp. But uh, when we're doing that, we're mostly just picking up bass. We aren't even picking up bluegills or uh, walleye or anything else that we see when we're, we're, when we're doing that. So even though we might see those fish out there, um, we aren't really collecting that information as much. So. We likely have a lot more of these fish swimming around in our Kansas waters than what our database shows that we have. And so it would just be a matter of recording some of that information then pointing anglers in that direction. as fun. And not so much actually changing management scenarios to actually uh, grow Trophy Common Carp, just a matter of recording the data we do have.
5: And so part of it, it sounds like, uh, you know, the, the carp are here. They've, they've been here for mm-hmm. a really long time. And so it's not some... To actively try to get them out of the state. However, they're not native fishes either. And so it's not something that you really want to put a lot of effort into when we have all these wonderful native species that maybe we could work on instead. Is that a fair categorization of where yeah. things are at?
1: Yeah, it's a it's kind of a I mean I in an ideal world, I don't think any fisheries biologist would say, um, that they don't want to get rid of carp when when they're in a water. Um, But at the same time, the the number of truly successful common carp eradication efforts where they've gotten carp out and they've never come back, uh, they're pretty slim. And so if there is a way to control common carp to a point that um, is beneficial to the traditional sport fishes while also creating opportunities for um, these new, newer, or, a growing number of carp anglers, then uh, then why not give it a shot?
5: Yeah, the, the delicate balance of working with what you've got and having realistic, achievable goals. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
5: <laughs> All right. And so um, as I segue here, you also are a, a periodic host and founder of the Fisheries Podcast. And so what what is that about? And what audience is that for? So with our fishers here, we are mostly on, you know, angling fish we have some fun facts and fish in the news but a lot of our listeners are avid anglers what uh what kind of audience is the fisheries podcast trying to get
1: so when when i first moved to kansas in uh 2016 i acquired this six county area that that i talked about and uh in managing that a fair bit of driving not as much as some of my western kansas counterparts but there's days where i spend about half of my day, work day in a pickup truck driving around and uh so I I enjoy listening to uh I quickly found that um I got used to all the songs on the radio and I'd get sleepy listening to those so I started listening to podcasts cuz it's something different to listen to and when I did that I, I quickly realized that there wasn't a podcast out there for fishery scientists I mean there's the fish nerds and there's lots of other fishing oriented podcasts if you're one to know about fishing and fishing topics but um, As far as fisheries science, uh, fisheries management, there wasn't a podcast out there that I could find. So I went to a conference and uh, attended a workshop that was put on by um, one of the founders and writers of the fisheries blog, um, Patrick Cooney of the fisheries blog. Who They do weekly articles talking about different fishery, fish and fisheries topics. And I asked him if they ever thought about branching out to other media. And they said they hadn't really. Um, and then I guess... I'm mixing up my own memories. Somebody else had asked him about um, about that, whether they're interested in doing a podcast. And I guess that sparked in my mind, oh, I'm not the only one that would be interested in this fisheries podcast. And as I was walking back to my hotel uh, from the conference center, I got on Amazon and ordered a microphone and I think even reserved Twitter handles and website names as I was walking back to the hotel. And uh, about a month after that conference, I I released the first episode of the fisheries podcast. And so that was right around Labor Day of 2018. So we're coming up on five years of that. Uh, We've done 224 episodes. Um, In each episode, we interview a different fisheries professional from across the United States and even sometimes across uh, uh, international fisheries biologists talking about their research, what they've done in the past or what they're currently working on. And the original goal was to kind of dumb it down and make it more digestible for common anglers. Um, But for the most part, I don't think a lot of the episodes are super technical. We don't talk about p-values or uh, chi-squared tests or anything like that. Uh, it's really just talking about the results. Um, I think it, most of it's uh, pretty easily digestible. There might be some uh, deeper concepts or something that people mention and might gloss over. But uh, for the most part, it uh, should be easy to pick up by the common angler or uh, fishery scientist.
5: Excellent. And so five year anniversary is coming up. That's pretty exciting. And Mm -hmm. so I think there are some statistics out there about, uh, you know, a lot of podcasts kind of pop up in about the first two years as the make it or break it. So you've made it past that. Um, You've got what you said, over 200 episodes and each episode features a different professional from the United States or across the world. Um, and it's all fisheries oriented. So very much like what you and I do, I would think, for our job. So you probably have district fisheries people, folks from different um, government organizations. Um, do you have any professionals in, like, the private industry?
1: Yep. Yeah, so yep. We've, we've covered the whole whole gamut from uh, private pond management businesses to uh a scientist working in national laboratories. Um, cool. So the private pond guys just talking about bass and bluegill management and kind of their work to uh, Brenda Prachel working in the Oaks national laboratories uh, doing side projects on otolith chemi- chemical compositions and how that affects microchemistry readings. So there's, that one might be a little bit more of a the technical episode where it might go over some people's heads or what it went over my head when she was talking about it. But uh, so, there's the whole range of, of science in between there.
5: Excellent. And so, um, just before we wrap up here, uh, you talked a little bit about uh, your survey. You've talked a little bit about the podcast. Uh, if the listeners today are interested in finding out more about any of those things, do you have any uh, social media websites or handles you'd like to share?
1: Yeah, the Fisheries Podcast can be found on uh, most social media platforms at Fisheries Pod. Uh, or if you just Google search the fisheries podcast i believe it's the first thing that comes up um you can find me across all uh, most of the social media platforms at nick Dolores. so like Ick Dolores punctatus for channel catfish but with nick in front of it instead of Ick. so um, nerd yep yeah. <laughs>
5: that's amazing <sighs> all right well uh, thank you nick for joining us on the fish nerds podcast and we hope we'll talk again soon
1: well, thank you for having
2: me. All right, and we're back. John, can you believe how far people will drive to catch a, a, a trophy carp?
3: Hey, there are kind of people, you know what I'm talking yeah. about?
2: Yeah. How far have you driven for a fish?
3: Um, uh, All the way to Winnipeg, so a day and a half. Day and a half,
2: yeah. Well, you also drove all the way out here to fish with me once.
3: Well, yeah. I mean, that really, I mean... Just okay. for me. <laughs> yeah, ostensibly I, I did take a a few days with my daughter, but it was mainly to see you, yeah. man. Yeah. We yeah. need our kids. We've seen them for eighteen years. We don't need them anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not so the boss you, of me. <laughs> so you can you can you can say four days in that in if that's our parameter. Yes, I have driven four days to catch perch out of Silver Lake mm-hmm. and i do it again in a heartbeat. Because it's fun. Too fun.
2: Too fun. All right. So there we go there. And well, good news, John. We're going to talk that? about lure love. Unless you we'll want to talk, talk about... you want more. You want to talk more about this interview? I got seventeen
3: pages of notes here, man. Well,
2: hit it me, man, before because I'm ready to move. <laughs> I'm, I got. I'm no, almost
3: really I'm, just... I'm out of beer. <laughs> me too. I, I should have brought two in here uh, after get a little cooler or something next time. But I, I just wanted to say I really enjoyed hearing this from a biologist POV, and that he's open to this sort of uh, let's redefine these rough fish. Uh, I like hearing about the European models. Yes, I do want to go over kind of a a tough topic. Uh, 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 We'll narrow this down. The main thing I want to talk about is how carp were an exalted fish, and then they became a rejected fish, and now they're being redefined as a game fish. Well,
2: and he covered that in the interview.
3: He did cover it, but I'm going to give you some juicy. And we had the same. I want to prove how smart I am. Okay, I'm going to back you up, John. I got you okay you do that I you. no i just I, I, when i was uh in no stuff yeah i do <laughs> i do I but my degree is in history and i love medieval studies yeah. and i read these things called this this uh document called the past in letters and it was about a, a well-heeled well-to-do knight that went off to the crusades and it was it's very feminist because his wife runs his estate while he's gone and he's wealthy enough to hire a courier to take letters back and forth and they've recovered some of these letters but And there's all kinds of neat stuff in there. But one of his questions was, honey, how is the carp pond doing? How are the pike ponds doing? Because, you know, he had pike ponds, carp ponds. These are delicacies. These are things that rich folk loved. And then it was fascinating to hear Nick talk about how they would actually give the carp, encourage carp stocking and get people to raise these things as a food fish. And they're very popular for people to say, hey, I'm going to take, build upon take these carp home and believe me when you're in a sustenance environment and can't just run off to walmart or price chopper or whatever your supermarket is called up there you know it, it's very important to have backup it's very important to have variety it's very important you know so i can see it
2: mm-hmm, me too but
3: what happened i do believe and i i need to do more research but this is just my surmise is that especially since the german folk were involved in the carp thing they were also involved in a lot of animal husbandry. And mm-hmm. so as beef and pork and chicken, but especially beef became easier to get with all this land and all these rich, lush meadows and all this kind of stuff, wealthier people, mostly white people began to eat beef and people began to see fish eating as something for poorer people, mm-hmm. for people of ethnic color. And well, then, of No, course,
2: was- no they assi- I think they assigned fish, certain fish to certain ethnicities. Absolutely. I don't I think because rich people have always eaten fish, but they decided trout and salmon were the ones they were going to eat because we're a trout and salmon guys. Absolutely. And, and carp are for the, you know, name your social class. Like
3: it's. Right. They're for poor people. They're for, uh, you know, black people. They're for Asian, Asian people. people. They're yep. for something else. And, and it uh, also, of course, we know they got a bad rap. Carp can cause uh, clear, uh, water clarity issues and so forth in ponds where they have to root in ponds where the, the, the structure is so degraded that there's no food for them except to root in the mud. Mm -hmm. Um, I've been into many ponds that are pristinely clear and have plenty of carp in them. Um, but anyway, so I love that it's come full circle. Maybe it's not as big a deal as a food fish. Although you can talk to, it's kind of a, kind of a secret thing, like, um i still like thrash metal maybe maybe that's kind of a thing you don't talk about but i do you know mm, i like disco uh, maybe, <laughs> yeah no, I, I love disco okay don't own even you're you're right so now they're coming back the bowfin the gar these, these 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 younger anglers are saying hey you know these are exciting fun fish and i can catch them from my kayak i can catch them from the shore i can catch them in my local river i don't have to go off to the pacific northwest to catch a salmon to be happy when i can Get my my drag screaming on a on a oh. nice big carp. You so catch a, I love, you
2: catch a twenty pound carp, you're gonna be ten times happier with that than you are with a four pound salmon. I mean, it's just it's twenty pound carp. <laughs> it's so fun.
3: Well, I'm just glad to see that 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 because you know uh, I, racism and all this stuff is starting to diminish and people are starting to try and reach out and understand everybody's trip, yeah. you know, and, and, and trying to understand that all these species are important. It's not just the ones we like or dislike or think are cute or can eat at a fancy dinner. Or So or let me, let us.
2: me hit the pause button here, John. Have sure. you eaten carp? I have. And what'd you think? It good. You it's
3: really it? good. It's really good. I've had it, the canned. That's the method that we were always You're taught. Canned carp. Yeah. You, so- you, my mama would can trout. Mm-hmm and she would can um she we we never did carp us but we had to give to us right and we uh, we love to sit up watching old movies late at night and eat fish on crackers uh, it's and on carp crackers. is so
2: salty and good
3: yeah it's <laughs> it's crazy good and it really is uh the bones just soften up and it's it, it is quite delicious um, I, I don't remember saying, Oh, put this away, go get, you know, a jar of trout. I right. remember, Hey, let's eat this tonight and we'll eat the other tomorrow. But mm-hmm. thank you, um, Don and Wilma for, uh, you know, giving us some of your precious canned carp because it's work. Well, it's it's funny, work to put these fish up.
2: It's funny. Back in the day when Dave Callum and I were on the quest to catch, e- eat every kind of freshwater fish in New Hampshire, we had to eat a carp and everyone was like, you're eating a carp. And we're like, well, if you look at the history of carp. It is food, you know. General in New Hampshire, General John Stark was credited with bringing car, carp to New Hampshire, and they were brought to him as a gift as food, and he just dumped them in the river. So he, he wasn't yeah. into it. Um. So they, it was a thing, but we made uh, gefilte fish, which is a traditional carp recipe, and it was like carp meatloaf. It was really good. It, it sounds.
3: Really see, there's good. another recipe. I just I'm not experienced with it. Yep. Uh, the worst thing I is re- if you
2: buy the canned gefilte fish in the or jarred. Get felt a fish in the supermarket it's canned and the the gelatin in it is fish slime and it's too gross for me to buy I just can't, <laughs> I, can't I can't get there right
3: <laughs> right 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 yeah, right,
2: right. yeah. Uh,
3: but I, I another thing that I, I wanted to talk about is real quick uh, is that I would suggest that uh, the biology people the Kansas fishing game and so forth study these European methods not so much as the fishing tactics. But these pay lakes, because over in Europe, going to a pay lake is not nearly the stigma it has here. And they have carp, you know, there'll they'll be a lake, you know, where, oh, old Matilda, she's been caught 41 times. You know, we log it every time. Right. And now, both here in the United States with big bass on private farms and private fish enterprises uh, and carp and so forth, but especially with the bass, is there's these guys these bass guys are buying the the trackers that you put under the skin Mm -hmm. so they know they can log their fish every fish is caught they have names for them all and you could do that with carp and another great thing about carp is unlike trying to raise bass walleye crappie that require a live wiggling fish for the most part to thrive Carp are like bluegill, man. They're, they're, you know, bluegill are X percent vegetarian insectivores and so forth. They'll take feed. We call those
2: omnivores.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Omnivores. There you go. Um, Carp will really take feed. And they also just take, they don't even need it made into feed like a bluegill does. They'll take corn. They'll take soybeans. They'll take, you know, and there's actually kind of a way to, to kind of ferment them to make them a little easier on their system and make them more appealing, but a lot easier to raise carp. So if these, folks are wanting to make kansas a destination for trophy carp there's ways to do it and i'll tell you right now and and we we had uh, i think rich put connecticut fly angler on quite a few episodes ago but uh, you know this guy guides carp trips in the urban environment
2: uh-huh.
3: um our city lake down here in edgerton you can go down there and have a ball nobody fishes for them they're they're like an untouched virgin resource it's not like having to go to the uh the, the northwest territories for pike or something you you've got lots of marshes and um, places in the city lakes the state lakes where the carp fishing is out of sight right it doesn't take a big search to find some unfished for carp at this particular point so well, i mean yeah
2: as far as i know john every place i fish for carp nobody does because no one's fishing for them around here so yeah well untapped these, resource I'll tell you the number one reason people don't carp fish. You want to know what it is? What is it? Ego. Because yeah. it's carp. It's not a bass, not a trout. It's ego. If, you, if, well, you're, if you're a snob about your fish, that's your ego. It's like when you were younger, John, and you liked this band, and it was the best band in the world, and you would listen to other bands, and you liked this band before it was cool. That's where we're at with fish. You're- absolutely. Yeah.
3: And that's why having diversity and young minds coming in and redefining it because now it there is you know an ego type uh, support you know ego is just a thing it can be bad it can be sure. toxic or it can be good and supportive and these guys are like hey and and they're they're cooperating they're saying i caught this here i got this mm-hmm. there i did this i did that but these european methods are made for carp that are just getting the living s press uh, pressured out of them right so when you come over here to these wild you don't carp, need it <laughs> you you yeah. I mean, you, you, you yeah i mean it'll work yeah they'll work great
2: i've used i i have when i was on the quest to catch all the fish in new hampshire we used the method which is packing that big ball of bait around that flat specialized weight and all these things and we got skunked and then, when, I, oh. we, when we finally went down to catch a carp, I just took a piece of Wonder Bread and squished it around a hook and threw it in the water and caught it in five minutes. So right, right. You can use those European methods, which, by the way, if you look on, if you watch the YouTubes, a lot of it looks like camping. I mean, they've got specialized tents that float in the water and you're just sleeping, waiting for days to catch that carp. It <laughs> seems like too much work
3: to me. <laughs> well, but then again, it looks awful fun. I mean, if you Oh, were- I do it. I do it in a heartbeat. Right, they they call them bivvies, and and they're really neat. And it's mainly, you know, they, if you watch Carl and Alex, which as well is well, it's it's just Carl fishing with Carl now. Alex has moved on, but right. these two English brothers, they you know, they have the they they make the sausages and they have the conversation oh. and the yeah. you know the the camping and 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 it's more it's like. We got to go catfishing the other night, and we sat around talking about weird dreams. And yep. yeah, I felt like I felt like a you know thirteen year old kid again because it was just great to sit under the moon.
2: The fish are the reason you get together, so it's perfect. All right, John, we got to move past this. We, we gotta, do. We, we got to go, go
3: because you got to talk about what's happening
2: with Lure Love. What do you got going All on right.
3: here? I don't know what TTBB means. Tim Tacklebox beat my former co-host on Lure Love, and I recorded this little thing when we did a episode where they put a uh, thought wave scanner on me and i went back to being my 10 w- uh, year old self and then nice. we went ahead and did an additional piece on i read some blogs that i disagreed with so we talk about our favorite lures for kids and we, and we ended up me- mentioning some folks off the fish nerd facebook group Perfect. and stuff like that so uh Can i play the theme song? Do it man. Uh, do I that.
2: can't get space in my tackle box. Just got to fill it up. More love. I can't ever stop. Don't
5: got a basement, got an underground tackle shop.
4: John, so you're looking a little bit annoyed today.
3: Well, I kind of am. I mean, we're looking over different articles and different blog posts and stuff on the best lures to get a beginning kid fisher, or even a more established kid fisher, best lures for kids. And I came across an article by this fella John Paxton, on uh, the fishing father blog, uh, July, 2019. And, uh, both on, uh, your list and mine, we had hollow frogs and, or at least I did. And I know we both had, uh, minnows or rapalas, uh, rapalas and, uh, He doesn't like either of those baits for kids. And um, I don't know. I I just read through his article. He was talking about how, oh, if you're going to give him a frog, you got to teach him to use a bait caster. I don't know. I just thought his perspective was a little skewed. And
4: I think a lot of it depends on where you fish, too. If you're in a place where there's a lot of farm ponds and those bass are going to be busting anything on the surface, probably fish. Having a kid fish with a hollow frog isn't a, a, a big deal. You know, it could work pretty well to me. You need a couple of things when you're just considering these lures. A lure needs to be heavy enough, have enough weight so the kid can cast it. You don't want to have something that where the reel is just backlashing and you're ending up with these big bird nest tangles all the time. I can remember as a kid taking weeds off a hook was a big pain. And so looking at lures that are a little bit more weedless, you certainly don't want to use one of those antique lures that has 62 big treble hooks on it and gets... <laughs> Weeds, no matter whether you're in a totally clear pond, it's like a weed magnet, you know, and also you don't want those hooks because they might catch the kid. You know, kids have small hands or they're just learning to cast. You don't want to have a lure that will hook them. You also want lures that can catch small fish and larger fish, crappy jigs. For instance, you can catch some monster bass on those as well as small fish. And my thought there is kids want to catch fish. I want to catch fish. You want to give them something that they're going to be able to catch a lot of fish to keep their interests, you know, so that they want to stay out for another half an hour, another hour.
3: Absolutely. Now, everything you've said there is is spot on to me. You got to come at it from, you know, an empathy from the kid's angle first. And I've kind of formulated what I consider uh, my four pillars of how to evaluate the situation when it comes to what am I going to pick out for this young angler? Uh, first of all, you got to look at the age of an angler. The needs of a three-year-old, a six-year-old, a 10-year-old, a 14-year-old could be completely different. On the other hand, a 14-year-old that's never fished before uh, might have a lot different needs set than a six-year-old that's been fishing since they were three, that i.e. half their life. Um, and then you look at innate ability in a kid, are they naturally coordinated? Are they naturally inquisitive? Uh, you know, where are they coming from and how good are they at, you know, already at what they want to do. And the last pillar, number four, look at your abilities as an angler. If you're a sophisticated, advanced angler, be careful not to overwhelm kids and push them too hard into uh, techniques that are too advanced. Uh, on the other hand, if you're a non-angler and you need help, Uh, There's all kinds of places you can get it online. You can always contact us directly. We'd be glad to hear from you. and be glad to help you out. Worry less about the fish and more about the techniques and learning to cast and things to get out there. You know, John, I would add to that. I can remember as a kid using
4: those yellow casting plugs, you know, no hooks and going out in the yard and casting and casting and just the sheer joy of casting is something we forget as we get older. And so Having something the kids can, they might not even be fishing. They may just be having fun casting out and uh, and reeling that back in. So when I think about the, the two things that, you know, what you just shared and what I shared before, here are some lures that I think are particularly good that I used as a kid and I think are great for kids. The first is a beetle spin. You know, it's a small spinner bait. You can catch monster bass on it. You can catch perch. You can catch crappie. You can catch bluegill, everything on it.
3: Well, Johnny loves a beetle spin and crappie hippie just still does, buddy. It's my number one for sure. <laughs> for a kid, you can't go, you know, any better than a beetle spin. It's semi-weedless. It's a straight retrieve. You, you get, you keep that line tight. So your spinning reel is not always looping up and causing you screams. Yeah. I'm right on the beetle spin brother. And then I wouldn't go the floating frog route as much as I would go a short
4: floating jerk bait, you know, two or three inches and I would take the back hook off. So there's one treble hook in the middle. I do that with a lot of my jerk baits. I do not find that I miss hookups with that fish usually are hitting that right in the middle, but now you have something that's floating. So it has that top water action, but if the kid reels it in, it's diving down. So it's kind of the best of both worlds.
3: Well, I agree there. And, and uh, the article I mentioned was down on hard baits. You know, kids should never be given hard baits. Well, You know, you need to supervise children, but they are completely capable of using hard baits. If they can handle a BB gun, you know, if they can handle a slingshot, if they can handle a pair of tennis shoes and run fast without falling down, then they're able to handle a hard bait. You just got to kind of watch out for them now. So, John,
4: are you suggesting that the kids take their slingshot and be put a big old crankbait in there with treble hooks and then shoot that out? Because that sounds like a deadly weapon. That
3: is a deadly weapon wouldn't suggest in a minute, but you know, if we were taught how to be responsible and how to pay attention and how not to hurt other things and ourselves. And I think we can translate that to a a rapala or a big O or, you know, a a hot and pot or whatever we got in the hard baits. That's all I'm saying.
4: Then I think some kind of spinner, you know, a rooster tail, a a Mets, a Panther Martin, those are fairly easy to cast. Again, you can catch all kinds of fish. You can fish that in a river. You can fish that in a pond. You're going to catch bass. You're going to catch trout with it. That was one of my favorites as a kid.
3: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. We're, you know, I'm a wire bait man. And I'll tell you wire baits, uh spinners like that will once again, help keep the line tight. They are actually a better bet in the current uh, when you're trout fishing uh, than an overhead spinner. They're not quite as, as weed friendly as, as the beetle spin, but On the other hand, they are one of the best search baits out there because everything will hit one. And I love your advice about have a lure that big and small fish will hit. Well, an inline spinner is that lure. And then the final one I would suggest is
4: when kids move to a jig, I love going the, the crappy duel or the road runner, something that has a blade on it too. And here's why. If you use a plain jig head, it may be a little bit more difficult for the kid to feel that on the end of the line, but you put a blade on there. And now it's a little bit more versatile because what the number one issue that kids have is, is there a fish there? Did I just get a hit or not? And I think with that spinner, it
3: gives you a little bit of an edge to feel when the fish hits. Look, I don't need to add anything to that. That was perfectly said. (laughs) Underspins rock kids love them. Uh, Fish love them too. put the two together. And you'll have fishing success right there.
0: I have been trolling Facebook and some members of the Lore love Legion and have suggestions for the best lures for kids.
3: Great, Lucy. Share them with us.
0: Hannah Stonehouse Hudson says to use lures with the fewest hooks and that are heavy enough to feel at the end of the line. She also suggests using lures that glow because they are awesome and keep kids entertained. Okay, I love that one.
3: I love that one. I
0: love the thing about the
3: glowing lure. There is nothing that's going to get a t- kids' attention faster than a glowing lure. Now, don't roll your eyes. It's not, and I'm not talking to you, Tim. I'm talking to people in the audience. This is a gimmicky lure maybe, but it's fun, fun in the fundamentals. That's what is key to coaching. And that is what is key to teaching. That is what is the key to working with kids. And a glow in the dark lure is too fun. It is brilliant, John. You think about the 4th of
4: July, you're out at night and they have those glow stick bracelets. Kids go crazy for them. I go crazy for them. It may be gimmicky. But isn't that what we're into anyway? I mean, we want to catch fish, but when you see a new lure you've never seen before, the gimmickiness of it and that hope, hey, maybe this is going to catch a few more fish before. But I, I think Hannah's really onto something here with lures that glow. And especially if they're like the ones that I just got in a, a vintage tackle box where it's like a big eyeball. And it actually has an LED in it. When it hits the water, the whole thing lights up. I can't wait to use those. Whether it catches fish or not, I just want to see, well, how far can I see it in the water? And could I fish this thing at night? And how will it fish through the ice? I'm looking
0: forward to it. Vinny Maturo says that he's found that when teaching his kids to fish, floating rapala work well because they get fewer snags. All right, Vinny. Vinny
3: chiming in. That's Vinny Maturo. He is... Claygrove's buddy, he's a guide up in New Hampshire, and uh, he's a swell, swell guy, family man. Uh, when Vinny speaks, you better listen because he knows fishing um, front, back, and, and sideways. Great advice there on the Rapala. I love them. We already talked about how much we love them.
0: Julius Ipik says he puts on a one-eighth of an ounce jig head with a black and chartreuse crappie magnet and lets the kid cast and reel in as much as they want. He adds that this method wears out the crappie, bluegill, and even catfish. In a similar vein, Brett Hobbock suggests using a trout magnet and a float.
4: Now, this one, I love this. Fishing a small jig, especially, you know, maybe an eighth ounce, maybe a 64th ounce under a float is brilliant because the float gives it enough weight to cast. You don't have to have six feet of line under that float. You can have just enough so it's easy for the kid to cast it out. You can catch all types of fish. What this reminded me of is with my kids, We used to buy the one inch gulp minnows and we would put those on a, like a 64th ounce jig head. So now you got the scent of this gulp minnow and it's a great way to catch fish. I still do that sometimes. Sometimes it's windy out and you can't get that 64th of an ounce jig out there and you put a float on it and you cast it out. So I think this is a a brilliant idea for kids. It's kind of that cross between bait fishing and lure fishing And your kids can watch the float so they can see when a fish takes
3: it, which helps them to set the hook. Like I say, it's important not to have too much line, you know, swinging off of there. Um, If they are deeper than that, then uh, next time you come out, you'll have learned to use a slip bobber and and you'll be able to get around that problem. But uh, yeah, you got to keep it fairly short. But one thing about it, too, is it teaches kids how to do a lob cast because you can't snap cast this stuff like you can with a straight up jig. And folks, you really got to kind of help the, the, the young angler, um, you know, cast it, but yeah, they can reel it. They can diddle it. They can do what they want with it. And I'm with you. I'll add a, a, a chunk of live worm or, or, or a gulp bait or some other brand of nib or bait. Cause I like the fish to hang on to that jig just a little longer to give that, that angler just a little more time because, my golly, sometimes if you're fishing a straight jig under a bobber, they can be a little mean to you and come up under it and do all kinds of silly things that are hard to detect. So putting on a little, uh, inducer, uh, can actually up your, um, strikes and, and bring in, yeah, more species. So no, I, a, a jig and bobber is, it takes me back. It takes me way all back. <laughs> okay. Thanks to all the members of Lure Love Legion for sharing your ideas. We sure appreciate y'all, uh, posting and, and talking with us and so on.
0: We just received a voicemail message from Amazing James and his two boys, Teddy and Charlie. They have some ideas about the best lures.
1: All right, boys. What are your favorite fishing lures? Teddy, what's yours? My favorite fishing lure is a beethead nymph because i caught tons of sunfish and tons of other fish with it. Nice. You got a nice uh, bass last time we used that, right? It was very big. On the Tinkara rod? That was awesome. Charlie, what's your favorite lure?
0: My favorite low
2: is a worm because I can catch almost anything, Mm -hmm. and I caught a giant catfish.
1: Yep, that was the last fish you caught. Hey, Tim, Crabby Hippie, nice work on the podcast. Amazing James out.
4: Wow, this is just incredible. A kid using a tenkara rod fishing a beadhead nymph. I love this. And his brother, who's uh, who's into fishing um, with worms, I just love the excitement in their voice. They're already finding what are their favorite lures. What do they like and testing these things out? And isn't that what it's all about, John, is testing new things. I love getting a new lure and seeing, well, how does it swim? What does it look like? What's the action? How do fish hit it? Should I be fishing it faster or slower? That just pumps me up.
3: Oh, it pumps me up, pumps me up, pumps me up. And in fact, you know, now I'm, in there, are in testing, you know, which size blade to use. What will, you know, make sure I don't overpower this. So it runs straight. Make sure I do this testing, testing, testing. I mean, lure design, new lures, all of it, creating new lures, buying new lures. Uh, these guys, you know, uh, we, we know their dad, James, awesome dude. Uh, it's just so fantastic, uh, to hear the, like you say that enthusiasm. And, uh, I know they're in a situation where they will experience the joy of fishing over and over and over again. Their entire lives long. So, thanks for sharing, guys. You know what? I'm going to send y'all a nice selection of hand tied jigs from Glasswater Angling. And uh, now you can have a lure from me to be your favorite from me and Tim and the Lure Love Podcast. And maybe they'll make your list of favorite lures. All right, so that was pretty awesome. Thank you, Grace Beat, for the theme song. And what'd you think of that piece, man?
2: Well, I think it was special. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, what what's your favorite lure to use with kids? We were just talking um, about it. Before so we I, I do the a show. lot of jig
2: fishing, and then there was a kid today who bought one of these. Those, you know, they buy those tackle kits; they have all this junk in it, and ninety yeah, yeah. percent of it actually is garbage that will never catch a fish. And uh, but there were beetle spins in there. And I do like beetle spins for panfish.
3: Well, you just so, heard that was our number one and yeah. um, still is my number one because when you're using a spinning rod, especially if there's a breeze or a wind there, you're going to get line loops and that beetle spin just helps that. But they're just a great lure. It's one of the greatest lures ever made. And we're circling back to Kansas again, brother, because a guy named Chuck Wood is actually the guy that did the nuts and bolts, wire bending and all that with. Uh, a couple of local fishing heroes, uh, one named Virgil Ward, and they came up with a beetle spin. So one of the, the main beetle spin engineers is from Kansas. Thank you, Chuck Wood. You are an unsung hero of lure design, and it's about time people knew more about you, my friend.
2: Yeah, they're a great little lure, so hey, well done. But
3: yeah, great piece. Thank you for
2: putting that together, and, I'm, and I do miss lure love. I make fun of you guys, but um, when, when that podcast came out, and, and by the way, the first time lure love was on the Fish Nerds, the first thing I said to both you and Tim is that needs to be its own podcast. And yes. it, it took you guys a while to to dump me and do it yourself. But I was, so, <laughs> I, was I was, I was so proud of you guys for doing it. And I love the show. I think it, it, well, was, it was everything. So
3: well, it wouldn't yeah, have happened without you, man.
2: Yeah. I appreciate that. All right, John, we're all out of time. We have nothing. We got to get out of here. We got nothing else. We could talk all night, but listeners have already fallen asleep. They've given up <laughs> on us. They just want to go fishing. So let's wrap this show up. Who should we thank today?
3: Well, I got to thank Grace Beat one more time for singing mm-hmm. that little theme. We got to thank Diana's bath salts for the New fish in the news team. Yeah. Uh, we want to thank Nick Wally Kramer, Pleasant. a wonderful biologist. Uh, Wally Pleasants for our show theme. Got to thank Doc Martin because we just love her so much. And her buddy, Nick Kramer, thank you for coming on. Um thank you to um who am I missing? Clay. thank you to the listeners. We don't say thanks to our listeners. No, no, we should. Thank you for bringing your ears on in here tonight and letting these guys let yeah. us fill them up with some fishing stuff. And we still have a handful of
2: Patreon subscribers who are really making a difference in making this show support. And right now I can't log on to Patreon to find out who you are. Uh because we do have some prizes coming out to you. I've got some caps to give away, John's got some lures to give away. But right now, I'm trying to work with trying to regain access to my account. I still get paid. I just can't see who's paying me. <laughs> so I can't thank <laughs> you by name. So Don't <laughs> stop paying me because we need, we need the money and we appreciate it. John, guess what? By the way, uh, if, if you want to advertise, not you, John. Well, you can you can pitch your stuff whenever you want to here because you're part of the show. But any listener, if you've got a business and you want to advertise whatever it is you want or you want to give a shout out, whatever, uh, for $25 bucks an episode right now, uh, this is going through Christmas. We're having a sale here at the Fish Nerds, uh, and that is 25 CPMs. That's 25 per thousand mm. listeners we have. We got 1,000 listeners a week. So you're getting 25 bucks. You can reach 1,000 people, and uh, which is the going rate for podcast subscribers, right? So if you want to advertise on the Fish Nerds podcast, just 25 bucks. Just hit me up, clay at fishnerds.com, and that will give you a one minute ad. Um, we'll sell whatever. You want to sell, unless it's garbage and you can keep it garbage, but good stuff, <laughs> sell some good stuff. That's <laughs> right. right. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, John, they've done it. They've listened to a bunch of fish nerds when they should have been fishing. We did our thank yous already. Here's hit us with the code of the fish nerds. Remember to follow the code of the fish nerds Spawn early and often. Never trust a free lunch with strings attached. And swim against the current every chance you get. You did it, John. You made a podcast. Congratulations. We did it. That was good. Whether you're
1: fly fishing in a stream, getting those ankles wet, or deep in the ocean, casting nets, fish nerds, fish nerds, fish nerds, nerds. it's a podcast. Just for the halibut. Fried in a basket or broiled in a pan. Eat it raw like you're in Siam, Fish Nerds, Fish Nerds, Fish Nerds, it's a podcast. Lure love,
2: you've been on my mind, never enough lures to tie to the end of my line. Blurred love, can't I make you
3: see? Why buy five lures when you can buy a 130- hundred?